Pastor Rands, our lead pastor, is in India today. And I would much rather be here at Monclova Road than in India today. And, uh, but uh, pray for him as he is uh, there in India ministering to a group of people. And uh, you can see by our screen uh, that this is Vision 2020 Student Edition. That does not mean that those of you who are not students can check out this morning and uh, say this does not apply to me. Uh, this is just an opportunity for us to talk about an area of our church that uh, we don't normally address, and that is our students. Um, in the times that I've had the opportunity to preach here in, uh, in the auditorium, um, we've not really focused on our student ministry, and there's many of you uh, who have never been to our student ministry classroom, you've never uh, seen our student ministry in action, you've never uh, seen part of it. And so this morning it is not going to be all about student ministry, um, it's going to be focused that direction, but it's going to be applicable to all of us. And so I'd ask you that as we go through this this morning that uh, you would stay with me, that you would stay uh, connected to the Word of God as we open the Word of God and as we look at it. But I wanted to give you some things this morning that you could that you could see and try to picture with us what our student ministry is. So I have a, a picture here. Um, this is our student ministry. Yeah, this is our student ministry. Uh, we went this last summer. We went on a mission trip to uh, Philadelphia. And uh, one of the desires that we have is we give our kids a passion and a heart for serving God. Uh, we want them, as a ministry of our church, to fall in line with the overall vision the pastor has for, uh, for the church. And so we try to align the student ministry that as pastor, uh, you hear him preaching and we have staff meetings and he gives us a vision for what our student ministry should look like, for where our church is going. We try to align every ministry of our church up with that vision to allow uh, from kindergarten and preschool all the way up uh, through the adult Bible classes that were talked about this morning to align to this vision that gives us the opportunity to push out the gospel throughout our, our entire church. And so a lot of people, they think that student ministries are just a bunch of times where we get together, we have fun, you drop your kids off, it's like a free three hours of babysitting, and uh, I don't have to mess with my kids, I can go out and do some shopping, I can get some time alone, I can actually clean the house. Uh, I understand that, and that may be the reason that you drop your students off. Seventh through twelfth grade is what we're talking about today. But one of the things that we did this last summer, and we've been on a little bit of a journey with our student ministry, and that is for them to see and understand that the world is not about them. I don't know if you've ever spent any time with teenagers. They tend to think that the world revolves around them. If you don't have teenagers or if you have grandkids, you may, if it's grandkids, you just think that they are the most amazing people in the entire world. They do no wrong. That may be in your eyes. But students tend to think that the world is about them. And so to open up an opportunity for them to go into Philadelphia and Trenton, New Jersey, and to see children that are, that are in situations that are way worse than what our students live in, and to see the joy and the happiness on these kids' lives, and to see our students step into the lives of these kids and witness to them and share the gospel with them and reach out to them and give them 
a vision for what God could do with their lives. And that was the vision that we've had. And then uh, this next picture is uh, just this last January, uh, pastor uh, came to me and he said, you know what, he said, I'd like to do something and let's put this together. So we put together a snow camp. Uh, we participated in it. We didn't make the, the program run, but we took this group of students. And if you look here, there's about 87 of us total. There are some adults in that picture but there's about 87 of us total. And our student ministry here, many people, they don't see, uh, you look around the room and there's a few teenagers in here, but not very many. And so you wonder, where are, are there any young people in this, in this church? And the answer is yes, that there are, we have about 135 students that participate in our student ministry. And this was uh, about 75 of them that went with us on this uh, snow camp. And the reason for this, if you look right in the very center of this picture, it's hard to see it, but pastor is, uh, pastor's there in his tan sweater. And uh, you can look at his face. This is at the end of three days of spending it with our teenagers. And uh, pastor's a little bit tired uh, from uh, three days with our teenagers. And, but it was an opportunity for him to be able to speak into and to touch the lives of our students. Now he doesn't, do, he doesn't do things like this very often and so we take opportunities like this to allow him to be able to speak into our students and to be able to give them and cast a vision for them of what God could do with their lives. You see our students, and you can just leave this picture up for now, our students, they live their lives in stories. <clears throat> Many of you have Facebook, some of you may have Instagram, some of you have Snapchat. Some of you don't know what any of those are. Uh, but uh, these are social media platforms that our, that our students in 7th through 12th grade, they live on. Uh, you see a kid that's, uh, that's uh, sitting there in a, at, a, at a restaurant and they're looking at their phone. It's going to be Instagram, Snapchat, uh, probably not Facebook. Uh, it could be TikTok. It could be all these different apps. And some of them you're like, I have no idea what you're even saying right now. Uh, these are things that our, our students live on and they live in stories. And so they scroll through, and some of you uh, that have Facebook, <clears throat> you have seen that Facebook recently has, has uh, put stories onto Facebook. And so you can see, and you can post things to your story, and you can get on that, and you can see what has happened in the life of somebody over the past 24 hours. For many of you, you, you hear that and it makes no sense to you. Uh, why do I want to see what somebody had for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, uh, what new shoes they have on, and then their hair that is all messed up? Why do I even care? Students care about that. They want to know what, where do I fit in the story of life? Where do, I, where do I live? How do I live in the story? And I would say that it's not just teenagers, it is young adults and even into the 30s. Uh, most people of that age, 30s and below, they're going to live their lives in these stories. And our desire this morning, if you take your Bible, don't, we're, we're not going to stay in Judges chapter 2, but I want you to look at Judges chapter 2 for just a moment and then we're going to go to the book of Daniel but our desire is that we have a generation that rises up in this church that passionately serves God. And you may say, I don't have a student. I don't have somebody in 7th through 12th grade. Yes, but do you have kids that are older than that? Do you have grandkids? 
Can you speak into the life of a student that is in our church? Can you draw them to you and then can you push them to Christ? Our desire is that through everything that is done here in this ministry, that Christ is glorified and Christ is honored in everything. And that our students understand and our students see that it is all about Christ that we live. Everything that we do, and not just that the stories are about me, but the story of my life is about Christ. But here is our fear. In Judges chapter 2, in verse number 10, this is the fear that we as a church have. And also that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord, God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, um, other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord. You see, as a church... As a church body, I'm not talking about as a church building, I'm talking about as a church body. It is our desire as the staff to lead out and have you all participate in pushing these students that you see in this picture to Christ. So that this generation does not rise up and say that they forsook the Lord, that they did not see, they did not understand what God had done. For those of you who have been in this church for a long time, you have seen God work in this place. Whenever anybody comes here that's new, that is friends with me, I enjoy walking them through the buildings. I take them over to building A and I show them this is where the church started on this property. That's the place, that little tiny auditorium. And I take him back into the back hallway and I say, see that cut out there, that, that impression in the wall? That's where the first baptistry was. And some of you remember that building and having services over there. And then I take him to building B and I say, this is the next building that was built because God was beginning to do a great work in this place. And God began to move and God began to grow his church here in this place. And then I walk him over to the gymnasium and I say, I don't know how they did it. I'm sure it was a lot of work every Sunday. They set up chairs in this building every Sunday. They pulled out mats on the floor and they began to have church here in this building. And I go in there and I listen to the, the, uh, the speakers for the basketball games. And I wonder, how did you ever have church in this building and understand anything that was being said? I don't know how you did that, but I see people in this room shaking their heads going, yes, it was a lot of work. Yes, we remember this. Yes, we remember what was God was doing in this place and my fear is that from that building over there in building number A to this building that we're sitting in here today that people in this room saw God work and my fear is that that generation that's in that picture will not see God work that way. Not because God does not want to work that way but because the people in that picture are living in a story that they're writing about themselves. And for God to do a work like he's done in this place for so long, it can't be about me. It has to be about him. And so we're going to look at Daniel chapter number two. 
If you have your Bible, please turn there to Daniel chapter number two. And I want you to see uh, in Daniel two, just a couple of thoughts that I hope will help us today to be able to keep in mind that as you sit in this auditorium and you may never cross the path of our teenagers and you may never serve in the student ministry teaching a class and you may not have kids or grandkids that age, but I beg of you to please never forget that it is our job as a church to point our students to Christ. It is our job as a church to point God, point out God in everything that goes on. If you go back to, don't turn there, but if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses number 4 through 7, God gives a command to the children of Israel. He says to you, fathers, when you walk along the way, when you rise up, when you, when you sit down, when you lay down, he said, talk about me. And parents, let me challenge you to do this. When you have little ones and you're riding in the car, Grandparents, when you pick up those grandbabies and you have them for three or four hours and then you're getting ready to take them back home, always point them to Christ. You're driving down the road and you see clouds in the sky and you're like, man, look at those clouds. You know who made those clouds? God made those clouds. My son, uh, he's in college and he, uh, he's a chemistry major and I don't understand a lot of what he says to me. But the other day, we were several months ago, we were driving around a roundabout and he said, Dad, have you ever thought about the force at which pulls you and what causes you to be drugged to the outside? And I'm like, son, I have no idea what you're saying. And no, I have never thought about that. I said, but you know who has God? God had that all planned out. God knew exactly what was going to happen. God knows. And he may talk about things that I don't know. And, and he may see things that I don't understand. But I can always take what he has done and I can point him back to Jesus Christ. And it should be our job as parents, as adults, as leaders in this church, as families in this church to point to Christ. And when we do that, our kids, our kids understand the importance of Jesus in everyday life. The other day I was, uh, there's, there's benefits of social media and there's negatives of social media. And the other day I was watching some social media and I saw a video. It was a, a husband and a wife and she was singing songs. He was singing songs to his wife. She had brain cancer and she was going in for surgery. And he said that the surgery was lasting longer than he, than he wanted. And so he just wanted to do something to make her smile. And so he put together this video of all these clips of her and him. And he's singing a song to her. And it caught the attention of a major daytime talk show. And this host of this talk show, I can guarantee you, is not a Christian. And they brought this couple onto this talk show and this couple sat there and the, the host said to the lady, she said, you ought to be on some sort of commercials. You have a million dollar smile. And they began to talk about the brain tumor that was growing. She said it was the size of an orange in her head. And she had surgery and had that removed and went for six years without anything, regular checkups. And she said, within about the space of two months, another tumor grew. And when that video was posted, it was because she was in surgery to have that second brain tumor removed. They went to a commercial. When they came back, the unsaved host said this. She said, we were talking while we were away at commercial and you said something that I thought was really important. Would you tell everybody why you are so happy? 
She said, because personally, I believe that God gives trials to certain people because they will glorify him through those trials. On national TV to an unsaved talk, ho talk show host, that host thought that the joy that that person had was so impactful that you had to share that with the entire world that was watching. Because if our kids don't understand that the story is not about me, they will think the story is about, is about what I'm going through. They will think about the story is about what's happening to me. It's, they will think it's about my life. But when we give them a bigger picture, they will understand it is not about me. It is about a God who is orchestrating things to work through me for his purposes. And so our job ought to be, to, no matter what's going on in our life, to point people to Christ. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, this is a story of a young man who I hope we have a Daniel generation that we're raising up in our church. I hope not that they will stand strong like Daniel, not that they will dare to be a Daniel as we teach them in elementary school to sing that song, not those, but that they will be a generation that is a thermostat, not a thermometer. They will be a thermostat, not a thermometer. You see, a thermostat controls and sets the temperature. A thermometer just reflects what the temperature is. And I want students that will not just reflect the culture, but they will set culture and they'll be able to stand within the culture that they're in. They'll be able to stand up and they'll be able to live a life wholly set apart for God. In Daniel chapter number two, we see here a villain that in every story there has to be a villain. You cannot have a good story without a good villain. I remember as a kid, the first villain that I knew was Captain Hook. And Captain Hook was the ultimate villain and you had the good guy, Peter Pan. And in every, in every story, in every situation, if you think about your life, there's always a villain. There's always that person that seems to be antagonizing you. And there's always seems to be the underdog, the one that we root for. And we've seen stories and we've seen movies about the underdog that you just are cheering for. And then you have the hero of the story. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse number 1, we see the villain of this story. And follow along with me, if you will. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep would break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, Notice this. This is the villain. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the one whom is after Daniel. In just a minute, we'll see it. Notice what, what King Nebuchadnezzar says. If you don't show me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. Now that's a pretty harsh response to not being able to give the king his dream. But this king, and we need you to understand that this king is not just a king that is sitting back. He's all dressed up. He's all fancy. And he's just making rules. 
This guy is the one who went in in Daniel chapter 1 and he destroyed Israel and took away captives. Took children out of their home and said, you're going to be my servants. This guy was not a nice guy. And he says to his astrologers and his magicians and all these that he needed to interpret this dream. He said, if you don't do it, you're going to be cut into pieces and your houses are going to be made a dunghill and the world will forget about you. But notice verse 6. But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show unto me the dream and the interpretation thereof. And they answered again and said unto the king, Tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. And the king answered and said, I know of certainty that ye would gain time because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. And the Chaldeans, notice this verse, and the Chaldeans uh, answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord nor ruler, that asks such a thing at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, that there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh." So we have this king, this villain, that now he is in this position. He has risen to power. His dad died. He is now the king, and he has had this dream. And he says, I don't remember what the dream is. And so he brought these men in. He said, tell me what the dream is. And they couldn't do it. And their answer was, the only person who can do this is the God that does not dwell with men. You see the story that we're seeing, God is beginning to work in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And God has characters that he needs to implement into this story. We are part of the story of God. So many times in life, we just think that sometimes, have you ever thought, has God for, forgot about me? Does God even know that I'm still here? Does God care that I'm going through this? Does God see the difficulty that I'm, that I'm facing? And what God is trying to show us is that the story is not about you. The story is a grander story. And to take you to the end of this story, Nebuchadnezzar, in the, in the last part of this chapter, Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you were laying on your bed and you were wondering what is going to take place. What does my future hold for me? And as you were laying there, Nebuchadnezzar, and you were wondering, you are the, the most powerful man in the world, and you're wondering what's next. God has already begun to work in your life because year, a few years ago, you took captive a young boy, and his name was Daniel. So we see our villain here and the place that Daniel was in. And down in verse number uh, 12, 13, and 14, Daniel and all the wise men, Nebuchadnezzar said, are going to be killed. You couldn't answer it. You're going to be killed. Let's pick up in verse number uh, 14. Then Daniel, Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. And he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. 
Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Daniel, of Babylon. Daniel here understood that he was part of a grander narrative. You see, our students in this picture, it is hard for them to understand and see what God is doing in, your li in their lives. Can you look back and see how God has moved in your life? Can you look back and you can see how God ordained your steps so that you know, you, at that time you didn't know that that's the step God had for you, but you took that step. And then God had you take another step and you took that step. And there was another step and you took that step and you look back and you can see how God was working in your life. But looking forward, it's hard to see that. And our students are looking at their lives and they're seeing all the things that are going on in this world and they're trying to figure out where do I fit in the story of God. And God is trying to draw them into this narrative and he's trying to make them a voice for him in a heathen culture. And I don't think we have to look very far before we understand how heathen our culture is. And we say that we live in some of the worst times and I've, I, read Bible, I read my Bible and I look at history and I understand that we're not living in the worst times. They're not, they're not in America, they're not crucifying Christians. In other parts of the world they are. In America, we still have the ability to do this and meet. We're not persecuted so we have to hide in, like they do in China in an underground church. And our students get so caught up with their story with their life, with the food that they're eating, with the shirt that they're buying, with the class that they're taking, that they forget that they are part of a larger narrative of Scripture. Daniel prays in verse number 18 and 19, 20, down through verse 23. Let's pick up at verse 23. I thank thee and praise thee, O uh, o thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might and hast made known unto me now uh, what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. And Daniel walked in to the king and he said, King, I have the answer for you. In verse number 27, And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot... The wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto thee, king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what shall be in the latter days, thy dream and thy visions of thy head upon thy bed. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came unto thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter. You see, God was working in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to look at this because I think it's really important. If you look back at chapter number two, I'm sorry, look at chapter two in verse number 47. 
I want you to see the progression. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel was taken captive and Daniel began to be a voice in Babylon. And I want you to see how God used Daniel. If Daniel would have thought that the story was all about me, Daniel would have gotten bitter at the circumstance that he was in. If Daniel would have thought that the story was only about me, Daniel may have lived for himself rather than live for God. But he did not live for himself. Before Daniel was taken captive, he had parents and he had grandparents that drilled into him, Daniel, your life is not about you. Your life is about God. Daniel, there's going to be circumstances and situations that you're going to go into. There's problems that you're going to face. There's difficulty that you're going to see. And it's not about you, Daniel. It's God is going to use that to tell a story about himself. In verse number 47, I want you to look at this. And the king answered and said unto Daniel, and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. So Nebuchadnezzar, now a pagan king, looks at Daniel and says, The God that you serve, there it definitely, it, that God is the top God. But God was not done with Nebuchadnezzar yet. Look at chapter 3 and verse number 29. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and tongue which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Again, I think Nebuchadnezzar really enjoyed cutting people in pieces. Shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. So now he moves from you are the God of gods to there is no other God like you. But God was not done with Nebuchadnezzar yet. Look at chapter number 4 and verse number 37. Chapter 4 and verse number 37. This is at the end. This is God had been working for years in Nebuchadnezzar's life. It was not something that Daniel said one time and Nebuchadnezzar converted his life. It was something that Daniel kept standing for God and standing for God and standing for God in a pagan culture. And as a result of him standing for God, God changed the king's heart. And look at verse number, uh, chapter 4, verse number, verse number 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways, judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Nebuchadnezzar moved from a pagan king who did not follow God, and God used Daniel to speak truth. God used Daniel to stand up for right. God used Daniel to tell a pagan king and a pagan culture, this is not about you. It's all about God. This morning, I don't know where you are, but I hope that you can see that God is at work in your life because you have a story to tell. It is so easy to look at the things we go through and wonder, what does it matter? This week, I posted on Facebook a little teaser to my message. And some of you saw it, some of you didn't. Last Sunday night, in just uh, near Atlanta, Georgia, on I-20 West. 
a pedestrian crossing a major highway, a pedestrian got out, walked across the highway, was hit and killed. As a result of that accident, and we see this happen all the time, the traffic began to, people began to hit their brakes and cars came to a stop and the traffic slowed down and one car came to a complete stop and the car behind them did not see that car stop and the car behind them hit that car and killed the driver of that car. As a result of those two incidences, a 911 call went out. And that 911 call called for paramedics, ambulances, and multiple ambulances and paramedics responded to that accident. A few minutes earlier, Noah and Mackenzie left church and they were driving home, 20-somethings, going through a green light, were T-boned by an ambulance responding to those two deaths on the highway. The car was so mangled. You can, there's a picture of Noah and Mackenzie. That's Noah and Mackenzie. And that's their car that was hit last Sunday night. Noah was unconscious and Mackenzie was holding her. They said that when the paramedics got there, they were embraced just like this. She was conscious, he was unconscious. The public uh, uh, worker that was there, whether it was a paramedic or a fireman, I don't know, but he was, he was there. As you can see, the windshield was pried open. He was there holding onto Mackenzie and talking to her and trying to keep her calm. And she said she was so gracious through the entire thing. Mackenzie had skull fractures, femur broken, hip broken, pelvis crushed. And these two were coming home from church. Their family faithfully serves God. They travel the country singing and preaching. And she wakes up in the hospital. She doesn't know what's going on. And the nurses and doctors come in and her response is, God is so good. God is so good. Her response, God has taken care of me. This morning I want to ask you, do you see your story as all about you? Or do you see your story as a grander story where God is working and maybe he has to put you in a car accident to speak to a doctor who God is trying to work in his life to win him to you, to him. Maybe you need to be taken a slave as Daniel was and put into a wicked king's court 
to be able to stand for truth and stand for right so that you could change through your testimony the heart of a king who then would commit his life to Christ. This morning I ask you, do you see God at work? We must have courage in these days. Problems come and difficulties come and we can't let the story be all about us. The story has to be about God. The story has to be as Daniel did, that it is not about me, O king. There is a God in heaven. And we have to continually point people to Christ. Maybe this morning as you look at your life, you can see that God has put you in a Daniel position. And as a result of you being in a Daniel position, you are being persecuted and you have bad things happening to you. And you've been tempted to look away and say, God, I don't know why you're doing this to me. And you become self-focused. But this morning, I ask you to open that back up and become God-focused. Maybe you don't like the story that God is writing in your life. Maybe you're not happy with the circumstances and the situations that God has put you in. It's time that we understand that it's not about us. And maybe this morning you are Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe this morning you are that one who God is working in your life and God is trying to mold you and shape you and change you and God is trying to draw you to him and God has put circumstances and people in your life that keep pointing to God and it's time for you to say, finally, I'm done. I recognize the God in heaven is the one true God and I will wholly and passionately follow after him. You see, this morning, it is about our students. It is about us. It is about our church. It is about us pointing people to Christ. This morning, I ask you, where are you in the story that God is writing?